welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for November 28, 2023. Advancements in AI and the potential economic impact. Advancements in technology have certainly shaped our economy over the years, including the personal computer, the internet, and smartphones. Today, there's vested interest in artificial intelligence and how its ever-expanding application can improve productivity and further shape our economy. How are companies using AI today? And what applications are on the horizon? As more and more companies and individuals use AI enhancements, what is the potential impact on our economy? This is Brian Kirk, and here to provide insight into these topics, we have Nationwide Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer, Jim Fowler, and Nationwide Chief Economist, Kathy Bostancic. Jim and Kathy, thank you for joining us today. Now, Jim, as Chief Technology Officer, we know how closely you're involved with the advancement of AI, and we're excited to have you share your perspectives today. Can you give some insight on how Nationwide and other companies are currently using AI today, and also what advancements do you see in the near future? Brian, thanks for the question. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, AI has really been a part of Nationwide for more than a decade. We created uh, an enterprise analytics office about 10 years ago. We have a chief analytics officer and, and we have a model factory where we manage really complex predictive models that we use today uh, to underwrite, to do clerical processes, to do HR processes. But what, what's different is really the, the introduction and scaling of generative AI over the last year. Uh, and so where we've been working is to now expand our knowledge and capabilities of artificial intelligence that we've built over the last decade uh, to really look at that use case. And so we've set up a a sandbox where we have about 200 uh, technical individuals, uh, a combination of data science, business, and software that are focusing on use cases that span from developing code to creating content. In fact, we've already got a few new live cases. For example, we've launched the Pet Health Zone, uh, which is for our, our pet insurance customers. And all of the content that we've created there was drafted first by generative AI. We've also launched Bing Chat Enterprise across the entire company. All associates now have a safe, managed way to experiment with how generative AI may work within their jobs. And we've seen just some phenomenal use cases of how our associates are, are using generative AI and Bing Chat Enterprise specifically to do things like summarization or analysis of meeting minutes or writing code or rewriting code, thinking about how they've got legacy applications that need to be rewritten and getting that first draft kind of out of the, the tool. Uh, we, we see it in the industry. Uh, the competitive landscape is really evolving rapidly uh, and as different organizations start to think about how they can use it. A recent Forrester survey discovered that 90% of insurance companies are adopting or planning to adopt artificial intelligence, while 10% uh, have no plans. A another survey found that insurance organizations are specifically inter interested in pursuing how generative AI can increase the productivity of their internal processes and how they serve their customers. 
you know, we think about it a couple of ways. Think about um, uh, an advisor who has a customer come to them and say, hey, I need some financial advice. And, and, and you know, this is a single adult who's maybe age 50. They want to retire in the next five years and they're considering buying an annuity. Well, we're working on we're working on a, a pilot product uh, that actually the advisor could put that information in, and it would look at all of the different uh, analytical and marketing materials we have, and come back and provide the the next best case for how to give the answer to that that person who walked in their front door. Again, giving them tools to help them be a a faster, better advisor. The same thing goes through for kind of searching information and bringing back the most relevant information that that advisor might need going forward. So those are a couple of examples of how we're thinking about it, the background and where we've been. Thank you, Jim, for that insight. Kathy, it sounds like we have a lot to look forward to. What do you think could be the economic impact, especially for productivity from the expanding application for AI? And also, what have we seen before with other technology improvements like this? Well, thanks, Brian. And, and Jim's comments, you know, really very exciting, especially when you think about productivity growth. So just to take a step back, you know, how is GDP growth initiated in, in within a country? Well, it's the number of people working. So the number in the workforce plus productivity growth. And that's really the output of uh, work by each unit of labor or, or maybe even by hour. So it's just worth noting that uh, productivity growth can be achieved through three different sources. Um, you could see improvements in the quality of workers. So that's what's considered human capital or increases in the level of physical capital or investment and then technological progress, right? Which is what we're really focused on. But I think it is important to keep in mind that you do need to see increases in human capital. And that generally comes from increased education, work experience, and, and on-the-job training. So that's an important component of adding on the technology and also the physical capital, which is machines and, and factories. And that also is important, but again, can't emphasize enough the, the human capital portion of this. And then, of course, technological progress has been important. Now, one thing from, I'm going to take a little different, slightly uh, different angle look at this. It, it's actually interesting that over time, it's been hard to measure some of the technological progress and its impact on productivity growth. And I should add productivity growth in general is, is sort of hard to measure. We come up with our best estimates, but there's a famous economist, Robert Solo, and he has a famous saying he, he uttered in, in 1987 that you could see the computer age everywhere, but in the productivity statistics. So that's pretty telling. It was then became labeled the, the Solo paradox. But what was interesting, that ended up being resolved really by, I would say, the latter part of the 1990s. The personal computer revolution, if we look at that during that period of time, it took off in the 80s. It wasn't really to the, the latter part of the 90s that it really significantly lifted productivity growth. It could be that, you know, reasons for that, the machines became cheaper more widespreadly available, uh, more powerful, and then connected to the internet, so really the age of, of information. But it was also helped by a leap in investment by companies in this technology, but then also to educate workers and help them to engage in this new technology. It also created startups, right? And and the internet helped along with that. So that kind of fast forward, you know, 
there has been a, another kind of productivity paradox that economists and, and business leaders have wrestled with. And again, we've seen a, a lull in productivity growth in the U.S. and I would say even globally, despite this large increase in digital goods and services and you know some concerns. You know, maybe it's underlivering on economic performance, right? And you know because it's not showing the productivity growth. And if you look back, average productivity growth. And the two, uh, like up until the decade ending 2005, was 2.8%. That was pretty strong productivity growth. But then it slipped to 1.3 from 2006 to 2019. So kind of cut that off pre-pandemic. So the questions become, well, is it falling short of expectations? Are things too hyped, right? Is it that labor skills are lacking? That certainly could be a reason. There also could be mismeasurement in, in the data, and that's gained a lot of traction. Um, there's things like intangibles that are difficult to, to measure. But another thing that's important is that you have to have this diffusion of innovations right throughout the economy, and, and that's important, and especially to get to medium-small-sized firms. And if there's any bottlenecks along the way, that could can slow things. But I think, you know, the bottom line is what we learned in, in the 80s and 90s and, and former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, was really prescient. He said it just takes time for this to, to play through and, and be disseminated through the economy. Um, and then, you know, if you look some of the estimates right now, they are very optimistic, and and we would be in that camp that this is going to have a very big uh, lift to to productivity growth and eventually to GDP, and it's going to be transformational. But there are you know varied estimates. For instance, the McKinsey study that has recently been published said it could add four point four trillion to the economy, which is is quite large. And then Goldman Sachs, also very optimistic, says that generative artificial intelligence could boost productivity growth by 1.5 percentage points over a 10-year period, and that could be globally. So this could be a very powerful transformational um, technological advance. Thank you, Kathy. And back to Jem. Jem, how did generative AI take off so quickly? Why do you think there's currently so much commercial interest in Gen AI? You know, ChatGPT reached 100 million users in two months. It's the fastest growing consumer application ever seen in history. I'm going to admit something here. I'm actually a, a, a Kathy Pasjancic groupie because what's driving this is actually economics. It starts with the fact that the comp- computational power dropped. Uh, if you are an NVIDIA stockholder right now, you are uh, you are a huge fan of generative AI because the fact that they got the computational power inside the size of chip they have is what makes this all possible. It, and it's specifically around the, the ability to run large language models like OpenAI, which is behind ChatGPT, or open source models like Llama and, and Google's models like BARD were not possible from a price perspective until we saw that computational power drop. So it really is an economics factor that sat behind that. The second part that really drives it was the introduction of natural language processing, or I shouldn't say introduction of, it's really the maturity of natural language processing, where I could ask a question in plain language, have the model understand it, and then be able to give me an an answer. 
Um, and there's been a ton of investment in those large language models over the last five years. And then the last is really just the ability to access data. And we've all seen this in our, in our daily world. And I think COVID actually advanced this where companies like Nationwide had to make sure that data was readily available for their associates to do their job. Well, a secondary benefit of it uh, is really the ability to be able to have large language models tap into that. And so, you know, what we've, what we've done is really make every person uh, who interacts with a large language model uh, their own programmer where they don't need to know how to write syntax of code anymore. They just need to be able to ask a question in the idea of a prompt. And so, so what we've seen is people are able to do it very quickly. One of my peers uh, jokingly uh, used it to create the wedding speech uh, that he gave for his daughter's wedding. Uh, uh, I used it last week and instead of spending 30 minutes uh, writing a um, uh, a paper for my boss on where technology talent is available. I spent two minutes and I let, uh, I let a large language model do that. And so I think humans are looking at this saying, Hey, I don't need a degree in computer science anymore to be able to interact with data and get answers to my questions. Uh, I can get it through this introduction of large language models. I think the reality is that everyone in the future is going to need to be a technologist in some way. Uh, the underwriter of the future in the insurance industry example doesn't need to know just how to do underwriting, but they need to know how to train a bot or a model how to do the underwriting, how to oversee a series of bots that are doing the clerical side of their job uh, and looking for the anomalies, providing things that the model can't like judgment, empathy, thinking about where, where sometimes maybe the right decision is the wrong decision based on what the model would have said. Uh, I think that's where we, we see humans continuing to be in the loop. Well, thank you, Jim. We heard from you and from Kathy on how AI can potentially improve productivity in many businesses and personal applications. Are there any downside risks to AI that companies and individuals should watch for? Yeah, and this is why we jumped in early. Um, we saw the technology coming at us and we said, hey, we don't want to hinder it, but we want to do it in a way that makes sense. And so we set up a cross-functional company-wide uh, committee. It's driven from the office of our CEO, uh, where every function and every organization has a leader that's held responsible for making smart decisions around how we use artificial intelligence. And we took a red team, blue team approach. The blue team is thinking about all the ways that we can use this technology to advance nationwide, to serve our members better, to be more efficient at how we operate the company. And the red team is thinking about all the ways that it could be used against us. How might somebody use it to attack us from a cybersecurity perspective? How do we make sure that we don't have bias that's built into the models that makes decisions that are wrong? How do we make sure that we understand that there's 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 shift in those models and that we got to make sure that it has hallucinations? What are we going to do about it? Uh, and so that red team, blue team approach is a way for us to make sure that we're thinking about everything from copyright law to accuracy to over-reliance on the tool. Eventually, and it, we, we, we really view this as going to be a human plus machines model. Um, we want to make sure that any decisions that are specifically made with generative AI that there's a human involved. Um, I, I, when, I, when I'm talking to uh, leaders about this, I say, think about, think about generative AI as a college graduate. 
We've taught them how to read, right? We've taught them how to do math. We've taught them how to create plans. We've taught them how to, to write code in my world, but they make mistakes. It, it, it still takes coaching and mentoring and guidance for them to get to their full potential. And that's really what you've got to think about when you're working with generative AI. It really needs a, a human. The second part of why we think that there's a human there is there's some things that are uniquely human. Uh, providing empathy. When we're dealing with a claim on a first notice of loss, I want to make sure that there's a person on the other end of the phone providing empathy and understanding what's going on. That can also provide the second thing, which is judgment. Really thinking about where do I need to make decisions that might be counter to what the model would say, because I can provide that level of judgment on what to do with the data that's in front of me. And then the last thing that we really believe that the human is, is there for is really critical thinking skills. How do I connect all the dots in a way that I've asked the model to do the right things? Those critical thinking skills still need to be there. Right. Thank you, Jim. Now, Kathy, how could some of these potential concerns for AI impact financial performance of a business or the overall economy? Yeah, thanks, Brian. So I think, you know, leveraging Jim's comments that we really are going to see this transformational uh, technology impact how we work going forward. Um, the Goldman Sachs report estimated that two thirds of current jobs today will be impacted by AI generative. So I think what is key for, for workers, but also companies, is that um, the workers who are you know, going to, and companies are going to perform the best and have positive outcomes, is that they're very much educated and sort of trained and participating in, in with this new technology. And as Jim said, sort of working along with, with AI, you know, man and, and machine, in a sense, doing that. And We've also found that, you know, why there is, you know, some displacement, some workers are, you know, jobs won't be as they currently are, that if they can, you know, make that transformation along with technology, there's actually a whole new st of new jobs and opportunities that are created. That's really been um, the history of technological progress, particularly here in, in the U.S., in fact, there's a, a famous labor economist, David O'Tor out of MIT, in, in a report um, that he cited that 60% um, of today's workers are employed in occupations that didn't exist in 1940. So that's pretty powerful to think about. And that 85% of the employment growth over the last 80 years has really been led and explained by technology-driven uh, creation. So that that's just really important for workers and, and companies to um, to be aware of. But the, the benefits can be quite great. If we increase productivity growth, uh, that means companies can lower their unit labor costs and boost profits. And for the individual, once our productivity growth increases, we tend to gain in terms of personal income and wealth. You know, we see higher wages as we become more productive. I think what's key and one thing that, you know, it has to be a concern from a macro level and 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 this uh, requires some real thoughtfulness is just to make sure that this platforms and technology is widely distributed. You know, at Nationwide, we've done a great job, Jim and his team getting ahead of this, but we have to make sure, you know, from, from a broad 
economy perspective, um, that that all industries and companies, as much as possible, are are um, also investing and engaging with this new technology. If that's true, that could actually help reduce income inequality and have really more equitable growth across the populace. So that would really be a, a positive ups, upside if if that. Um, you know, if we make those investments. And also, I think you have to be patient. Um, that That's the other me- message I would say is that what we've seen with technology, even though this is, as Jim indicated, is quickly and rapidly being adopted more quickly than other technological um, advancements, it still could take time to show up in the statistics. So I think we have to be patient as business leaders and economists and uh, to see that real payoff. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. Uh, this has been a great discussion on AI. And I think one thing I'm really curious about is just asking each one of you, what are you most excited about when it comes to the future of AI? Yeah, for me, it's the potential of using generative AI to act as a set of virtual assistants that automate the simple tasks of our associates and in, in doing so, enable our people to do what they do best, apply their judgment, their reason, and their empathy to allow our nationwideers to really be uniquely human. In our strategic planning, we're really focused on enabling humans plus machines, creating a bionic operating model that will future that will be the future of the company and really help us for the next hundred years of our history. You know, I share uh, Jim's enthusiasm. I think that uh, from a macro perspective, this could really boost productivity growth and also unleash creativity and and value added from uh, individuals in the workplaces and and free them up from some of the uh, maybe the more regular or mundane tasks that we all do. So that's really quite exciting and how that can really boost GDP growth overall. Thank you, Kathy. And Jim, thank you both for a great discussion on AI today. We're going to continue to monitor this application and see where it takes us. And if you want to get more updates from Jim and Kathy, you can follow them both on LinkedIn. You can find their LinkedIn profile links in the podcast description. Uh, Jim and Kathy, we hope you can join us again in, in the future for future discussions on AI. And to our audience, please tune in next week as we discuss the auto market and how has supply chain issues, inflation, and the recent strike impacted the auto industry. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified as soon as each new episode is released. Until next time, for Nationwide Market Insights, this is Brian Kirk. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition, or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide Inn and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2023, Nationwide.